Welcome to Grant Seeker Coffee Talks, a podcast for nonprofits to listen and learn from their peers. In this episode, we're discussing tips for successful communication between accountants and grant writers, the importance of writing the budget first, and tools for internal collaboration. Our presenters today are Amanda Day and Kimberly Hayes Demuga. Both Amanda and Kimberly are GPCs. They are board members of the Grant Professionals Association and hosts of the Fundraising Heyday podcast. Let's hop right in. When I first started writing grants low these many years ago, my whole attitude was, well, I write, y'all figure out how to spend it. I write the stuff, y'all spend it. And um, while it was kind of a catchy thing to say in my head, it really wasn't effective at all. In as I grew in my profession, it's like, oh yeah, if the budget doesn't match the narrative and the narrative isn't grounded in any kind of reality, or the budget and the narrative don't match, we're not going to get more money. I'm not going to feel like I'm like Miss Rainmaker, you know, bringing stuff in because it's not going to come in because it's not being done right. And then it was, oh, let me understand this numbers thing. I have a journalism background. I was in the Peace Corps. I studied public health. None of these things prepared me to go talk to a fellow nonprofit professional who was using language like P&L, balance sheets, accrual versus cash accounting, depreciation, um, et cetera, et cetera. I, it was like hearing, for those of you who can remember this reference, Charlie Brown's teacher going, wah, 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 wah. And so I had to get past that. And also, I have to own the responsibility to make sure people understand me when I'm talking about things like restricted funds, why we can't just use the money for another need, even though it's a demonstrated need, what we need for interim reports, how report cycles rarely match up with fiscal years, uh, why, why I need this SF-424, why supplanting is a super bad idea if you're writing a federal grant. So I have my own jargon that I have to own and make sure that everyone everyone explains because depending on the size of your agency, uh, the depth and breadth of, of the mission, you may have people that you're working with on the finance team who may or may not have really uh, delved into the world of uh, grant management or if they have it. So maybe it's a smaller part of what they're doing because they're handling all of the other financial operations. So yep. Amanda, did I did I put you to sleep on that? Are there things oh, you no. want to add? Well, what do you and think I think else? it's I think it's good to remember too that this is a continual thing. Um, the perfect example I'm I mostly met with our accountants. I mean, we talk year round, but usually when we were preparing for our annual audit is when we would spend a lot of quality time together. And every year they would start in with you know the deferred revenue and those kinds of things. And so I just have learned that now every year when we meet, one of the very first things I say is now, so we're all the same playing field. Let's remember, I'm a grant administrator. I've never had an accounting class. And it's been a year since we've talked about this stuff, so I don't remember any of it. So remind me again what the terms are that you're talking about. And they would, and then we'd get, you know, it would just make things a lot smoother. And so I just think it's it's not a one-time thing. It is definitely a continual reminding of the language barrier. And we also, not to say that it was always that kind of translation difficulty, also um, we were probably the only two areas of an entire agency that would get excited when the audited financials came in and their spiral bound books. So, you know, oh, yes. sometimes we had a little dance party in, 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 the, in the financial office and that was always a joy to see. But, anyway, <laughs> but I know, I know Amanda has a couple of stories about success stories. We've talked about some difficulties, but also just some real life quick and dirty examples of what we've done in our, uh, in our grant professional work, keeping in mind that we have different backgrounds. So take it yeah. away. Well, and I think the idea here is, you know, to find those wins and to come together and figure out things that'll make everybody happy. Um, I will tell you one city I worked for, I was their very first grants administrator before me. It was kind of like every department willy nilly did their own thing and finance Oops. was trying to get a handle on it. Not to their satisfaction. Sure. Um, it, Cause it was kind of like, Oh, 
wait, suddenly we have a check. We didn't even know somebody wrote a grant. So when I first got there, I made a, an effort to sit down with finance and talk about what are you lacking? What do you wish you had that you don't? What can I help with? Um, and one of the biggest things, which really is it's very simple, but they just hadn't figured it out, was they really just wanted to know what grants do we have? What are the dates on it? What, you know, how much money is it? What department's managing it? What's the projects? Just some very simple information. Um, and so basically, we t I took notes on all the things they wanted, um, and I just created a simple Excel spreadsheet. Um, now, you got to remind you, this is back in like 2003. Now, there are fabulous things like Grant Hub that can help you collect all this data and put it in one place. Um, but at the time, there really wasn't anything um, technology-wise around, so we just created an Excel spreadsheet. So every grant that was written, I would have all of that information, and then when we got the award, I could send it to finance, and they were very happy because they knew the minimum details that they were asking for. And it was just, I mean, it took me two seconds really to do it, but it made them happy, so it made me happy. So that's a good on the management side example um, there. I know, Kimberly, wow. you have a you have a grant writing story for that lovely local county grant we I do, I do, for. but also I think we all wish that we could have Amanda come into our workplaces and wave her magic wand and <laughs> what do you need to succeed? That's lovely. I'm gonna make it happen. Making it happen. Um, so what I would share quickly with you is um, we all have those proposals that come up every year that involve lots and lots of attachments. And I'm not going to get into, I'll, I'll slightly dip my toe into the, I have no idea why in the world this particular, it was a local government funder and in the Atlanta area. And every year they had a competitive grant process. And I, at last count, I think they might have had 24 attachments plus the narrative logic model and budget. Like Sounds me. Right. Like me, you may be wondering, gosh, that's a lot of information. Why do they need that? And I'll have to come back to you and go, my brethren, I don't know. But <laughs> here's the trick. I knew it was coming up every year, and I'm like, here we go. And I also had a lot of other grants and other fundraising obligations on my plate. So it became a shared joy with the finance department <laughs> every year where I would be like, as soon as the RFP came out, and to their credit, Every year, they we would meet, they would go over the grant, uh, the, the application, any changes in focus areas, what have you, what have you. And they would usually, you know, bring in breakfast. So who doesn't like a free biscuit for breakfast? And so I would go, but the very day that I went, I would make sure to visit my, my folks and especially the person that I knew was assigned to me to do this grant and say, hey, this RFP, the request for proposal just came out and here's the finance information they wanted and it was usually two or three separate documents and I actually made that the very first thing that I would do in getting that grant ready because it was we kind of asked for the same type of support every year for the same program and I know how fast I can write and I know my own schedule but what I don't know is um, who in accounting uh, you know what's on their plate what are they trying to do or close out so I would go in there first I would bring the fresh new document I would bring what they had filled out last year because this grant as many do asked for background of financial data over the past three years and I would ask them to please fill it out and it was usually just updating a column. And I found that asking for help in advance with people that I've worked with and met with and had lunch with and talked to over the year, if you ask, the earlier you ask, then the better we can all get our stuff done. And yes. it was just a learning lesson that I took with me. And it's now just wherever I go. And it's not about, oh, we must bow down to our mighty financial overlords. It's not that. It's respecting people's time, you know, because we're working together. And then for them, for something for me, pulling bits and pieces of information off of auditive financials, sure, I can do it. But if you're digging in that field every day, you're going to be able to dig up weeds a lot faster faster than I can and you're going to be able to find and mine that information a lot faster and also just to close I would say how do you want to do this do you want me to send you the spreadsheet you know a soft copy email attachment do you want to work on hard copy what do you want to do and sometimes it was easier for that person to just fill in with pencil the numbers and I was ecstatic because I can type in numbers and so I would take that back and I would 
I would key it in and away we would go. But it was just instead of me going, oh, every year I must do this burdensome thing alone. It's like, actually, no, actually, no, we can probably work together and give them, you know, six weeks or four weeks, the most time I could give them to get that done. And in the end, it also saved me time as well. And I was assured that what I was getting was the real deal and not me doing what I sometimes call grant professional or development math. So that's, I'm just going to leave that there. I'm not going to explain <laughs> that. Y'all just figure that out. Oh, well, um, one thing, if you have written grants um, in the past, you've, you've known that you've written one grant application, you've written one grant application, and that next one is going to be totally different because every funder has a different set of needs and specific information they want. Um, and I think this is also an important thing to communicate to your finance team is um, one of the things with finance I've learned, especially when it comes to procurement and different things like that, is they have a very stringent set of rules, as they sure. should. Um, yeah. And all finance folks follow GAAP, the Generally Accepted Accounting principles. So they have this set of rules that they have to follow no matter what. And while, yes, there are rules in the grant world, when it comes to putting things together, again, it's just very different as far as when things are due, the time periods you have, the amount of information they want, the level of detail. And so just because they worked with you on one grant and you only asked for one very specific thing doesn't mean next time you're not going to ask for five different things. And so I think that's part of the education process is just making sure everybody understands with grant applications, there's not one set of things. It's different every single time based on every funder's needs. And that is another conversation to have. You, you could, if you wanted to beat that amusement park metaphor into the ground, which could be a good day to do it, could, do, could be today. It's like you got to be this tall to ride this ride, but every ride in this park is different. And so every grant can be different. And I think that's also can be if you're not directly connected to grant writing, grant management, it's kind of mind blowing when you think about it. You know, we've been doing this for so long. It's like this is normal. But to an outside person, it's like that's nuts. Why aren't there standardized applications? Why aren't there deadlines the same? Why can't private foundations get together and have a standard uh, standard information request? Why and great question. Great. <laughs> I, I personally, I'm patting myself on the back because those are great questions. But they're, the answer is because they don't. And um, <laughs> one day in my perfect world, they will. But it's an important point to get across that it's we're crossing fiscal years where all sorts of things are going on and all the forms are different. And um, that's just a good starting place to make sure people understand it's not it's not you. Um, I call this the blame the funder approach um, <laughs> when all is lost and you're having a difficult conversation and the six flags over Georgia thing doesn't work and you're just like, okay. And it's like, it's because this funder asks for all this and they have the money. And so they're making their rules for us to access their funds. And yep. that, that, that kind of ends that whole, well, why it's like, just because, yes. because they like, said so. I don't know. Like when I told my children, <laughs> because I, <laughs> So, and sometimes that's the best answer you're going to get. Oh, oh, it's a sad one, but sometimes it's the right one. This is true. Um, another uh, tip I would like to share, uh, and, and, and as you'll see, we'll get into some details of some other takeaways toward the end of the hour. But I also, over the years, certainly my approach to developing grants and working with um, the finance team has really, really changed. As I said before, giving them the leeway. Uh, lead time rather to get things done, asking for help way ahead of time, but also involving them in the process more so with budget than objectives. But I have found just for my personal development as a grant writer, if I lead, if let's assume that this program I'm talking about is already established and let's assume that you are rarely if ever have the opportunity to go for general operating funds. Let's just assume that. So that each each proposal can sometimes become an exercise in creating bespoke budgets. But if I am leading with the budget and working with program staff, and also as we'll see later, bringing in finance folks when needed on developing objectives, I found that if I lead with that now, then it actually makes the writing much easier. Whereas when I first started, I mentioned that came from a writing, a journalism and a writing background. So I went to my strength, which was, hey, I'm a good writer. Let me write all about it. And then we'll fill in all the missing pieces later. 
I found that that's not the most logical and time effective way to go about creating a grant. And that if I lead with the, the budget and look at the budget as just another way to use numbers to tell the story, working with finance and the project team to make sure that it's grounded in reality, it just makes the whole development of a grant much easier for me. Yep. And I've found the same thing to be true, Kimberly. Well, so it's not all about me. It's about me and it's about Amanda. So in case you <laughs> what it's about. Um, and I would say another tip, too, is um, as you're building your budget, um, you're going to come up with a lot of things. I can, I've got a perfect example. This week, I'm working with a fellow um, contractor, and she built this huge budget template that probably has about 10 different columns, and it's got oh, all God. the position with notes next to it and how many full-time equivalents for each position and how much money's coming from this, that, and the other thing. It's great to figure out how much things cost, but when it comes down to what the funder wants, and part of my job was taking all of that level of detail and getting it down and fitting it into the space, which is the bare bones of what the funder wanted, but it ended up being like a four-column spreadsheet, okay? And so, and I remember she passed it on to me. I'm, she's like, I am so sorry this thing is such a mess, but as I told her, I'm like, I couldn't have created what they needed without that level of detail to have that understanding. True that. Um, and so, you're, you're going to do that as you put things together but what I say is that you know when you create those notes or that Excel spreadsheet that has all those things please don't throw those away because <laughs> what's going to happen is you're going to either do you know if you don't get the grant you're going to try to apply for it again next year or even if you do get it you may apply again next year or you may apply for another funding source to help pay for a portion of those funds you know we we apply for lots of grants for some of the same things and that level of detail while a funder may not need it it really helps you so you're not starting from scratch every time you're creating new documents and new applications. So hang on to all of those notes. And I learned this the hard way. The first couple of years I would write <laughs> grants, you know, you just, you end up with so much paperwork and so much stuff that I was just like, well, those are just my scribbles. I'm going to trash them. Um, oh, girl. But I, yeah. But then I'm, I was recreating and I am figured out all this time I'm wasting. So now I hang on to those things. Um, and of course, it's much easier to do electronically than when you have handwritten notes but trust me I've had many a meeting with a program person or a finance person where we've been over lunch and I'm like on the back of a cocktail napkin making notes and that may be what's in my file for a long time but whatever it takes you want to hang on to those things <laughs> so. so you open the Amanda's binders and files and all these like cocktail napkins <laughs> matchbooks I'm working at a local government trust me we were not out drinking so cocktail napkin was the worst example but <laughs> You get my point, right? I feel you. I feel yes. you. I also would say, um, and this has certainly come up a lot for me and probably for Amanda too, um, when you get the budget uh, form from whether it is a federal grant or uh, a small family foundation that has their own form, they'll send it to you and it rarely, if ever, matches up A, to all the line items that are on your overall organizational budget or B, all the line items that are on the program, project, or thing budget for which you are writing that grant. And so a lot of times I would, like Amanda, it's like, okay, let me take all this information and put it into these different categories. But if there were things that needed teasing out um, that I had questions about, I would meet, again, I would um, ask to sit down with whoever I was working with at the time in the finance department and go through these things so that if, and sometimes they, it would go so quickly, they're able to telescope many different categories into the one line item that is on the budget form that is sent by the funder. And so I also kept those notes. If they were um, going through like a particular page on audited financials or somewhere in our 990s or something, whatever we were doing and making notes, I would either save that or take a picture of that and upload it later so that I would have it. Because chances are I might have to do a similar sort of telescoping of line items for a future request or the reverse could be possible. A lot of times, and again, particularly for um, government funding, public funding, and some larger private foundations, there was a level of detail around salaries and benefits and FICA and all okay. these other different kinds of things that I didn't always have at my fingertips or that could, as you could imagine, change from year to year depending on staffing. So it's just real important to kind of keep that stuff um, and keep it in 
keep that file just at least to, you can you can refresh it and use it again for for next year because I don't know about you yeah. but and I'm not the Marie Kondo of the Grant world and because binders can, <laughs> binders can spark joy but I don't like oh, a lot of yes, clutter girl. I don't like a lot of clutter and so I but I'm talking myself into saving those notes saved me a lot of time when I was again telescoping complex budgets into fit the form oh it's story time Amanda it is. I'm going to ask you to lead this because I've conveniently, I know we talked all about this yesterday. <laughs> so you go ahead um, and I'll, I'll, I'll catch on and I'm going to follow, follow my lead. lead. So Next. the point here is like when I first started writing grants, I always thought about the budget as something totally separate. To me, it oh, was yes. kind of like Kimo said, I'm going to write, 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 write. And oh yeah, I've got to throw in these numbers and that's not my favorite part, but I'll do it because it's a requirement. Um, but over the years, I finally learned that the budget really is just part of that entire story you're telling. And your budget needs to be, you know... It, everything you're talking about in your grant application needs to be this linear story. So if I am sharing as part of my need statement that part of the problem is my clients can't get the services they need because they don't have transportation, then it's going to make sense that within my budget, I may have some money set aside for transportation, whether we're buying a bus and hiring a bus driver or whether we're giving vouchers um, for people to be able to use public transit or Ubers or whatever, or maybe it's a gas money for them, however that works. And so that's something that should be mentioned, not just in my budget, but in other places. And within my methodology where I'm telling about my plan, I'm going to talk about how we're going to make sure transportation happens. And so those things in your budget need to be found in other places or it doesn't make sense. And it just is a way to kind of continue um, with your storytelling. Um, and so that's the point here is that budgets, it, it still is part of your overall narrative, even though it may be numbers. And if you are numbers averse, then it's always good to build, again, build those relationships over time with the folks who are working in the numbers all day long and yes. get them to help you um, build your story. And for many of you, you may come to um, grant writing from, you may be moving into grant management with an accounting background and which is a fantastic transferable skill set. And so it may work in the reverse. You may be looking at, I've got all the num all the um, expenses, all of the invoices, everything's all together, but now who's gonna write the narrative? So again, it's it needs to be if you whether you are approaching it from I'm a grant writer first and then I'm I'm working on grant management, or you're moving that uh, toward it from the accounting side of it, it's just super important to make sure that both sides are covered. And well, there's more than one, there are more than two sides to this. And you also wanna make sure that you're bringing in your, your outcomes, but that is of course not the focus of our time today. But that does lead me to another story, Amanda. Are you down for that? I'm, go for it. Yeah, she can't see me, so she's like, oh my goodness. But um, I would say, um, this also means that it, that, that communication, because obviously as a grant professional, that's my lens. I'm coming forth that way. I have learned through experience that I am going to take on the building relationship piece of this. But I have also learned as I do more and more training that that does actually need to happen both ways, but it may not. So here's an example of when it didn't necessarily work. Um, it was um, I was teaching a class um, about four months ago, and one of the attendees was actually moving into grant management from accounting. She was a staff accountant and had recently joined um, a nonprofit agency. The agency had sent her there, um, and we were getting to. And by the way, you know, grant management is a super fun topic as well. That's some, that's some. But you know, if you get it wrong, you can go to jail. So there is that little frisson of excitement um, with it. <laughs> we were having this discussion, and um, it was around uniform guidance, things in the uniform guidance, just to give you all some context. And she was like, "Nope, we never allow that." So, quick note. If you are an agency, your um, accounting procedures and your procurement procedures um, can be more restrictive, but not less restrictive at federal level. So we're just setting the stage there. And 
um, the particular question in the exercise they were looking up was around newsletters, whether or not newsletters were allowable. And she raised her hand and she said, that is never allowable. I do not understand why that's allowable. I turn that down all day. And I said, okay, thanks for sharing. And you and she said because that is an uh, that's an expense that we don't need to take on we never need to do these newsletters and so i was like well it took it away from hey federal grant management into hey in your organization if that is your organization's policy then when you are building the budget if you're not building it together you could have a program person and grant writer putting together a program that requires uh a uh, uh, newsletter, promotional materials, um, an extra special web page as a landing page, whatever it may be. And if they're not aware that it's your organization's policy to just turn down all of those expenses, then everyone's working at cross purposes. So mm -hmm. it was a kind of a weird thing. And then, but then she also went on to say, interestingly enough, that um, but that she wanted when it came to the end of the uh, grant cycle, she wanted to thank everybody. So she arranged for a spa day, but worded it in the um, the report for reimbursement to make sure that it fit in the parameters of the grant. So, you know, it was a choice. It was a choice. I think at that point I stuck my fingers in my ears and actually said, la, 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 I can't hear you because, wow, spa days are just not allowable um, or allocable under um, uniform <laughs> guidance for federal government. And if, and if you know that they are, you, you just put it in the comments and tell me where I can go find those grants because <laughs> no I'll go day all day long. But again, <laughs> it points out that the bigger issue there wasn't whether or not this um, person understood uniform guidance for federal grant management. It was there was a huge disconnect within the organization that things that could have been allowable in a grant and a newsletter to promote a particular program, for example, would have been an allowable cost for a federal grant. But she was saying no, and I turn those down all day because that's not, we don't allow that. So that's, that's a very extreme example, but people just are coming at this grant management and grant development sometimes from very different places using very different lenses. And I think it's just, that's why, again, it's just so important. I, 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 have, I am done with assuming that people who don't work in grants all the time understand how they work or how they don't work. So... That's my story. Okay. Well, let's talk about, since we are talking about uh, finance and working with them, <clears throat> when it comes to your doing your grants, it's probably not a bad idea to start with your budget because um, that helps you avoid backtracking because your budget really does drive so much of what you're able to do, which means what you're talking about in your grant application. Um, and I've got a perfect example here, and this was from someone in a, a training class not too long ago shared this with me, but she worked for a transit authority, and they were looking at a grant to bring on some alternative fuel vehicles to help provide transit, some buses that had alternative fuel options. Oh, now, yeah. There's lots of options out there. So they did all their research and they finally decided, okay, we're going with this particular bus, this particular alternative fuel, and we want three of them, okay? So based on how many people those buses could hold, how long they could be out before they would have to come back and like recharge or do whatever, she builds an entire program around that based on, you know, how long the routes are, how many people they're serving, how many drivers they need, how many hours these buses can be out, just everything, right? So it's the day before the grants due and her boss comes into her and says, you know, the more I think about it, the more I think we chose the wrong bus. Instead of doing oh. three of these smaller buses that have this type of option, let's do these two big buses that have this type of option. Wait a minute, Amanda, I have to jump in. This was right before the grant was due, right? Like 24 hours before the deadline. Oh. But of course, her boss is like, what's the big deal? You you change your, that takes two seconds to change the line item in your budget, which that part is true. Yes, I can change my budget in two sections. But what he forgets is now every time, she, so now she's going to serve different people, a number of people. She's going to have less routes, maybe less drivers, maybe more drivers. It's going to change so many things. It's going to change objectives. It's going to change methodology, potentially shape how she 
presents the need statement. It, it basically was almost like starting from scratch with that grant application. And the wow. boss didn't understand. And so that's why I think if you can get everybody to agree from the outset that, yes, this is the work we're doing. This is our budget. If Once you get that in place, then you're not having to come back and make – I mean, there's going to always be minor changes, but to change something that drastic – it's not just changing the budget. You really are changing that whole application. So, Girl, that was like a that was like a Devil Wears Prada kind of situation. It kind of was. Kind of, if y'all remember that movie, yes. um, Meryl Streep was playing a super high-end magazine editor who asked for crazy, crazy things from her hapless assistants. Yeah. Now, I'm again, it goes sure. back to education, yeah, go though. I, I uh -huh. think it goes back to education where the boss just didn't understand. He truly thought, we'll yeah, just switch from understand. the budget. So you've got to be able to not be afraid of your boss and be able to say, I get where you're coming from, but do you understand that's what this is going to mean? And sit down and have a frank discussion about what you want to do. So. And that may touch on the webinar participant at the very beginning who told Tammy, hey, I just work directly with the executive director, you know, and yes. I'm not suggesting that person is in a devil's devil wears Prada situation. <laughs> um, that's just not the good way to live your life, I think. Um, I mean, free clothes would only get you so far, I think. But um, I would say some, most of the time, 90% of the time, it is going to be just sort of education and also education about what's available, restricted funds versus general operating. Um, that has been a discussion I've had with executive directors, uh, board members, and, and sometimes as well with members of the finance team. I had a, um, this, we were, you know, looking for money because that's what you do in a nonprofit and that's my job and looking for money. And I had a finance director go, wow, I get that these are all restricted grants, but can you write something that's just kind of vague so that we can put the money in these two different programs? And I, I, I felt her pain and it made me kind of laugh. And, and I was like, yeah, I, I could. I, I try to, as much as possible for program support, you know, tell the story, connect the, the, uh, the budget items, but to, to make it so that we could, you know, if we had to, if, you, if something big changes, there could be a possibility for a conversation with the funder. But if I write purposefully vague um, grants with, with objectives that are like, we will end hunger, we will, no child will be left behind. Nobody's going to fund that, you know, they're not going to fund it because it's, and that was the conversation I had to have. The other, the other request was, can't you just write a, a couple of, of like maybe four or five, just smaller grants to tie this over. And, and the educational moment there was, well, I could, or I could write the big money grants that take longer and will give us bigger buckets of money because there is no relationship really there's not a there's not a direct correlation between complexity of the grant and amount of amount of money available. I have found anyway. Um, there are grants that I've written for twenty thousand dollars that have, were one hundred and fifty four pages long, including all the attachments and four different binders. And just the other day, I wrote a twelve page grant and it it got twelve million dollars to um, renovate a NICU at a safety net hospital. So. While I was excited by that because I could do the math and say a million dollars a page, what a deal! Um, it was the idea that you know you could spend just as much time and effort writing several smaller grants versus a larger grant, and that most grants are restricted. So again, educational moments. Don't assume that people know. And another way to sort of make that education into something that can work for you is working with your finance team around certain um, setting of certain ob objectives, particularly around whether or not things are attainable around um, associated costs and expenses of your programs. Your finance folks can really help capture expenses that maybe a program person may not think about because, hey, they're running their program every day in addition to working with you. So Amanda, have you had some good experiences with that? Um, well, I think just the biggest thing here is a lot of times as program people and grant people, we on paper, it looks really good. Like, oh, wouldn't it be awesome if 80% oh, yeah. of the people we serve, we could feed them a meal every day. But then finance reminds you, 
do you realize that's 100,000 people? So 80% of that, that's 80,000 people. You're going to feed them three meals a day. And even at a minimum, you know, we, we need $58 million to make that happen this year. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah so the quick math, quick math. Yeah. yeah. So it's, you know, we're, you know, as a writers, I think sometimes we get so focused on this sounds really good. And this is what this is the work we should be doing because it's good and worthwhile. But you want to make sure that it, what you're saying is it's realistic. It's relevant. Well, it's That's attainable. what I'm looking for, that it, and it fits the budget that you actually have to make it happen. So, um, and we're going to have to. I know we need to start wrapping things up. We do have we several. Will. We will. We have some takeaways, lessons learned, next steps for you all. Um, so that's what we're going to kind of wrap things up here with today. Um, so. I think one of the big things is we've talked about is just communication and relationship building all year long. You can't not speak to someone for six months and then suddenly be like, oh, big grant deal. I need all your help. Please drop everything you're doing <laughs> well, you and work could. on this with me. Well, you could, but you're not going to get the outcome that is ideal. And, probably, and you wouldn't like it if someone did that to you. You wouldn't like exactly. it. Exactly. And so I found like when I come, you know, when I work with folks, I realize I cannot do my job in a silo. I certainly can't do it successfully. So my biggest thing is, you know, whether I've, I'm starting someplace new or I'm working with a client or even if I've been there 12 years, I want to make sure I'm always trying to be mindful of their time and their experience. Um, because what you don't want to have happen, I'll give you the opposite example here. I had a, a coworker wanted to learn how to write grants, which I'm all about that. More people writing grants, the more we can get done in our organization. So, um, so she decided we're going to work on a grant together. The next grant that came along was a fire department grant. So I kind of held her hand throughout the whole process like let's do this next but I'm going to turn you loose she was a beautiful writer and she was very good at that aspect of the job and she even got the grant funded but what was interesting is after the grant was all, all over one of the firefighters I'd been working with forever and adored he came to me and basically said if I have to work with her instead of you from now on, we don't want any more grants. And it wow. wasn't that she didn't do a good job, but she was, you know, when she would think of something she needed, she would just email immediately. And if they wouldn't respond in an hour, she's calling. And so she was hounding them for information constantly where I've learned sometimes it's better to say, here's all the things I need. This is the deadline. Holler at me if you need me in the, in the, in the, in the interim. So to be respectful of their time, whereas when she would suddenly think of something, she's like, oh, I should add this, which was true. But to constantly be hounding them, he was like, I spent so much time on this. Where normally with you, it doesn't take me very long. Um, so just kind of figuring out with, within your workplace how people like to work to make sure you are doing that correct relationship building. And, you know, take it on yourself and to, to build those relationships and get it out there. If you start it, chances are it will be reciprocated. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and when in doubt, I found uh, baked goods, pies, um, usually open doors that were previously <laughs> closed. Just go say I that. Just, I buy chocolate. You do you. So yes, exactly. What we've been talking about is the concept of building a grant task force. Only don't call it that because people will get totally freaked out and will not want to participate. It's like just putting together a grant team to move forward. It's your program people, it's your finance people, it's you, it could be your executive director, depending on the size of your organization, yeah. um, to help you build those those grants and take them out. Yep. So we've got a couple of examples. I'm going to lead, if you are with a larger organization, and again, this isn't doesn't mean it has to be this group of people. You'll figure it out. Um, but when it comes to setting and figuring out funding priorities, obviously you want, you know, senior leadership. Um, your development director, your grants person, finance folks can kind of help with the funding aspect of things. When it comes to actually writing your grant narratives, as a grant writer, obviously you're going to be doing a big part of that, but you definitely need your program and project people involved because, you know, we're writing about what it is they're doing um, and cannot stress enough how important it is to have an editor. Um, I'm a darn good writer, but trust me, grammar mistakes happen. And, you know, so you definitely want other sets of eyes doing those things. Um, and then, you know, that kind of talks about the writing side of it, but also on the budget side of things when it comes to grant management and procurement, finance people, probably multiple people could be involved. You certainly have your program directors, maybe a procurement officer, you know, if you've got a development director or grant director and other grant people um, and just direct service providers, there can just be a lot of people involved, which is good. You want that checks and balances to make sure things are flowing as they should. Um, and this is certainly not an exhaustive 
exhaustive list. I've worked at large agencies where anytime I needed a map, I had someone in the GIS department I could go to. I have worked at large agencies where if I needed certain data, if it was the police department, there was someone I went to, if it was for the fire department. So you're going to, you know, start figuring out those people who have those key bits of information that you need to put together a better proposal. Um, and yeah, I never told them they were part of my task force. They just were. Um, there you and go. Like Kimberly said, they, it wasn't like we had Don't formal meetings. Don't call it a committee. Don't call it yes. anything. Just help to get this grant out the door. Then people will be down for that. Absolutely. Um, and of course, anybody who helps, as soon as the grant is submitted, I'm emailing all of them individually, thanking them for their time and look, tell, talking about the day I look forward to doing it again with them. And then when we get the grant award, I'm again thanking them, saying without them, we couldn't have done it. Because just those attaboys, I mean, we all appreciate that. So those go a long way, too. So for a smaller age, I was looking at that big old laundry list going, yeah, that's no, that for so for the reality for smaller or mid-sized agencies, you would still have the teams. Your teams would be smaller, and you um, we've included some examples there of folks to have in. You know, it's a grant writer, development director. If you're super small and you don't even have a finance director, it may be you and the executive director. Then maybe um, there could be a either a bookkeeper or on your board, maybe the board treasurer. I mean, maybe you could get down to that level just to get some help in um, putting these things together. And of course, it's always important to include as people who are going to be actually delivering the program and services. It's really important to include them at some point in that grant process or the finance process if they're going to be the ones spending the money and coding the invoices. And it's also important to remember that sometimes you got to, as I said earlier, you got to, it, working with your finance folks to help squeeze your big old, big old budget into their um, grant requirements and their forms, it's awfully nice if you can have someone help you with that. Yeah. Um, and then last but not least, just what I've talked about before is how, you know, your application needs to be linear and there are certain elements in your grant application that definitely tie back to your budget, including your need statement, you know, your, the, your methodology, the plan you're putting in place, your goals and objectives, evaluations, and donor recognition, because it may cost something to recognize that donation. So make sure that you consider, you know, the budget implementation. I can't think Implication. of the word. Implications. Implications. Thank you. I got you, girl. I got you. This is why we're a tag team. So, Boom. And speaking of, we can certainly hang around and answer some questions if you have them. Um, if you like us in any way, shape, or form, we would love for you to check out our podcast, Fundraising Heyday. Um, our website is fundraisingheyday.com, and we are on Spotify and Stitcher and Apple Podcasts and pretty much everywhere. Totally free. Um, they're all about 30 minutes, and uh, season one is fully available now. And we hope you go Great. listen. And if you yeah. like it, if you like it, subscribe. But if you don't like it, you know, if you don't have anything nice to say, just don't say anything at all. That's, yeah. <laughs> That's your lasting advice. That's my takeaway. Thank you so much. You're my key takeaway. So first off, um, do you recommend grant writers attend finance committee meetings, or is that Ooh. too much? You got other. Things. I, I'm. Before I started my consultant and training business, I was a development director, and so I would, of course, go to the board meetings and then would also receive all the financial information there. I wasn't always a part of the finance committee. Um, I think that's just going to vary from organization to organization. It may be that in the interest of time, maybe uh, as a, the grant professional, you could come in and do sort of a quick and easy, hey, this is how restricted funds work in the, in, in the, the nonprofit world, because so often the finance committee, they're going to be board members who are super successful, you know, attorneys, doctors, accountants, um, community leaders who may not even understand how restricted funds work. So maybe it would be, I would say, dropping in more on an as-needed basis and using that time to educate up to make sure that people understand the nature of restricted funds and how they work. Because I've found that to be the biggest misconception with board members in terms of how grants really work. Yeah. And I would say – I always, anything I could go to, I'm going to go to at least once. And it may be you go and realize that's not going to be very helpful. Well, now you know. Um, but um, definitely, it's always worth to check standing meetings out at least one time. Yeah, that's a good approach. You know, not, not commit to all of them. But yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Oh, and you mentioned this. Uh, when talking about giving your finance team plenty of lead time, what's a reasonable uh -huh. time frame? Um, I know that their deadlines and busy time is different than uh, like, like here at Found It, we have end of month, end of quarter, where right. everybody's busy, and then at the end, we're all like, hey, let's go top off the week, and, and they're just, they're closing the books, and, you know, right. I did go in and show them how to close a book. It's really, you know, you just put the covers together. <laughs> they did not appreciate oh, they that like joke. That, Tammy. <laughs> they didn't like that. They were like, yeah. thanks so much. We'll see you later, girl. Well, and I, the thing about grants is, you know, I could have a proposal opportunity pop up today that's due in 30 days that, I, you know, it wasn't quite on my radar. And so that means I have 30 days. But what I typically try to do is the second I'm going to read all the rules and guidelines and figure out what are all the things I need that I don't know the answer to. And so I'm trying to give that. So I'm not going to wait three weeks to go ask them. I'm going to nope. ask them hopefully nope. day one or two. Um, so that way, it's if they are busy this week, that's fine. They can get it to me next week or the week after. Um, or one you tip. Can, go ahead. You go ahead. Well, I was going to say one tip is, though, I never give people the grants due this day because everybody thinks that's when they can submit stuff exactly. to me. Exactly. I, I set internal deadlines. They don't need to know when it's due. Nope. Um so, but I, I make sure I give myself enough time to do whatever I need to do with the information once they provide it to me so I can meet that grant deadline. And I wanted to clarify from earlier, if they're filling in, helping fill in three years of financial data, which is a pretty common request, mm -hmm. um, I would ask them to do that and have them do that. And then I would develop the budget the program budget, I might get a start and then sit down with them and the program person and, and work together on that. It depends yeah. on your team. Um, you may have folks that are so well versed in the programs, they can just get it back to you in a week. But when we have that conversation is when I'm doing what Amanda said and I'm setting the internal deadline and it's, it's going to vary. But that's why I'm like, job one is to get the forms and documents out as soon as possible to the people I'm asking for their help and filling it out. So there's no hard and fast rule, but it's it's a conversation you have to have, and it's going to vary depending on the complexity of the budget and the folks that you're working with. So that's where chocolate and pie comes in to help to help <laughs> speed that process. Exactly. Awesome. Hey, this is a question that that I know the answer to, but I'll, I'll tee it up for you. <laughs> Are you aware of any listservs or forums where grant writers can post questions on a regular basis as they come up with peers, as peers can answer? Well, Amanda, so. I'll let you take that away. Well, I mean... <laughs> I will tell you, LinkedIn is a fabulous resource. There are tons of grant groups on LinkedIn, and so that's certainly a free place. Um, I highly encourage you to check that out. Um, of course, if you also belong, you know, Kimberly and I both belong to the Grant Professionals Association, and part of that membership is Grant Zone, which is an online community, um, which is fabulous, but again, you have to be a member, so that's why if, you know, if you, which certainly encourage you to check out GPA, um, the Grant Professionals Association, but if you need something free LinkedIn is fab um, I would also say too if you're on Twitter um, if you want to follow the hashtag grant chat um, yeah, it is a weekly online resource um, and you, you get to know people through Twitter and then in fact um, Kimberly and I are often on there, as is Tammy, um, and that has sort of become, I've seen people posting, they also have a Facebook group as well, and I often post questions on that Facebook group and get some great answers too, so. I have, that's, that's ah. comprehensive, I have nothing to add okay. to that. Yeah. Um, you guys are great, we're getting a lot of great comments that uh, the time just flew by, and it feels like that for me too. Good, good uh, to hear that. So, <laughs> we sometimes Here wonder, like, is. do we tell too many stories? Are we boring them to tears? <laughs> but also, Definitely we're, not boring. we're never going to read right off the slides. That should be painfully obvious. We're not going to do that. <laughs> So anyway, are, are there? I I see a question here is about how do you diplomatically mention spending money for donor recognition or do you yes. hide it? Um, I am happy to uh, take a, a stab at this one. I'm while I don't have all the context here, I think maybe they're talking about 
the overall organization budget versus a line item in a grant because for most grants you, there's not a specific line item for donor recognition unless it was some sort of capacity building grant where you were as a part of growing your organization you were rounding up more donors but um I would say that there are a lot of ways, I'm assuming this question is from someone who works at an organization where, where money is tight. I mean, who doesn't really? But um, I would say money for donor recognition is um, something that should be a part of a development budget. And also I would say if money is super tight, I would never try and hide it in a budget from anybody. I don't believe in hiding things in budgets. I think that is the road to ruin or jail time. So I would say <laughs> um, think about if money is super tight, um, think about things you can do for free, you know, little thank you videos, going to the dollar store and sending out Valentine cards. I mean, I have been there and done those things. Um, but there's also plenty of um, experts in the field, people who are uh, members of the Association for Fundraising Professionals, who are leaders in um, that aspect of working with individual donors um, that, that could point out that it's so much cheaper to keep the donors you have than to go out and find new ones. In terms of grant funders, most of them, the recognition that they may want is more in terms of ways you can thank them in public forums or for a capital campaign. You know, we've all seen donor walls and things like that and naming opportunities. But it sounds like maybe the, the case to educate up here is all about the importance of keeping the donors that you have and keep them fully engaged. And another way to start that conversation is to ask your donors how they'd like to be recognized. Then you have information you can take during the budget building process to make your case. Great. Um, we are getting through the questions here. So if you see another one that you want to, to ask or another point that you want to emphasize, to go ahead and jump in. Um, there is one here. Do you have suggested process for tele, telescoping? I think it's uh, a complex oh, yeah. budget into a grant form. My process is I always at the beginning of, it, beginning of every fiscal year, you know, I get a program, an overall agency budget, and then in my perfect world, a program budget for all the programs for which I'm seeking grant funding, and I get really familiar with it. And I will then, it's kind of like match game. Uh, then I'm going to sit down and put the, you know, sometimes I even do this with hard copies because sometimes it's just easier to sort of start that process and see what could go where. A lot of times it's, um, you might have in a grant proposal, it might say supplies, um, for a program, but the program serves hundreds and hundreds of people and has all kind. you know, your supply item, line item might be a million dollars. So sometimes it's breaking things out within there, or sometimes it's just putting notes in the budget column as I am telescoping all the different line items. Um, I would say I just try and do it as logically as possible. And when I have questions about, well, would this work better here or there? That's when I go to the finance person, um, my, you know, my CFO or staff account and, and, and just have that conversation and go, here are three things. I can put them in here. Is that going to make sense for you? Because the important part of the telescoping process and why it's important to build that relationship with finance people is that they'll know how to allocate those costs once you both understand how you sort of, again, telescoped those many, many line items into one or two for a particular funder. So I hope yeah. that makes sense. It's, it's just, it's, I always want to work with what the agency has first, and I just really want to understand it. Amanda, have you had similar experiences? Well, and I think, too, it just is, you know, every funder's – on the federal side of things, things are pretty standard, but still, you know, I'm always looking at what are their budget categories and what yep. do they say belong where, you know, because it may be something that, you know – we would consider a piece of equipment, but the, you know, unless it costs this much, the funder doesn't consider it equipment. So it may, does it really belong there? Does it belong in supply? So for me, yep. it's just kind of a comparison to where yep. 
crosswalking things over to make sure they stay where they make most sense. They need to to stay. I think one of the biggest things that changed in the past, what, five years was the moving of maybe 10 years now, moving of computer equipment, desktop workstations, tablets, laptops, et cetera, from equipment to supplies. So Mm -hmm. that's pretty much everyone knows that by now, but those are just the kinds of things to make sure you keep your notes and you make sure that the, your your finance folks and your program folks understand, you know, y'all all agree on the on the um, the designations, and then agree on how to code it because that's where your grant management can just get a little wonky if you mm-hmm. don't have that set up at the get go. Also, I want to shout yeah. out to the person from Alabama who now lives in New York who says there were tea connoisseur and spelled it correctly. Way to go! Um, <laughs> it's probably hard to find good sweet tea in New York. Well, there's all Andy kinds of tea. Don't this is get true. Guarded on the different kinds of tea. New York has some fine, fine tea houses. So yes, just saying. Anyway, <laughs> this has been so much fun. Yes. Yes. Um, well, I think there's uh, one more question that I I want. Uh, oh, another one just popped up, but. Uh, the first one is I work for a local county government, and I want to ask if you think the budget piece of a grant application should be developed before the project narrative. And you, you hmm. spoke to that a little bit in the webinar um, about doing budget first. Uh, the second part of this was we now have a situation where we've written the project but just can't justify all the costs in the budget. So we're now looking for new fillers in order to bring the budget up to the maximum. Don't. Go, yeah, Amanda. Amanda, answer that first because you know what I'm going to do, and I don't. I thought I wasn't going to preach. Yeah, today, it's. Go ahead. I'll tell you, I worked with plenty of program <laughs> people, and even department. Oh. I mean, especially when I've got my police chief going, you're allowed to ask for two hundred fifty thousand dollars, so ask for it. And then you're, oh. you're going to be as good as a proposal because oh. you are. You're making that stuff up. So my recommendation is, what do you truly need to make your program happen? And those two things need to match. And if you're not asking for the max money, that's okay. You don't need it. You know, next oh. time around you may. Um, you're so diplomatic. Is, you're so diplomatic. I, I'm, 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 yeah, go ahead. <laughs> wow. I'll just, like, I'll give you, we had, we were applying for a bicycle safety education campaign, which should have cost $20,000. And I was forced to submit a $250,000 proposal. <gasps> and I was making, cause you know, they wanted an SUV. Because why not? Because that's what you need for bicycle well, safety. Girl, education. that SUV didn't cost two hundred thousand dollars. No, I got a lot of other things too. But anyway, but what's Lord. interesting is, is you do you start you know you start trying then you're having to make up like why do I need an SUV? Well, we don't. So how do I say that in my program narrative? It's just almost impossible. And uh, I'm not verbal. I am just yeah. non-verbal at this point. I was lucky. That funder came back <laughs> and literally offered us $20,000 and told us yeah. to cut the program accordingly. But that's because we had built up a good relationship yeah. over the years. Any, if, it, if we had gone in there cold turkey, they would have totally denied us because it was the most ridiculous ask ever. Um, so Okay. I, I feel like yeah. I'm able to add value here for this moment now. That just That's a real sore point with me. <laughs> this is Kimberly, yeah. uh, not at Sweet Amanda. This is Kimberly. Look, y'all. If you don't need it, don't ask for it because let that money go to another place where people really need it. And if it's a federal grant, I'm just saying that money is not free money. And when you think about it, I don't know if you maybe just thinking it through that money, actually a lot of it comes from taxpayers and probably the people on this webinar taxpayers. So I'm just saying before you know, you are, you're either being told or thinking about maybe I should just pad this out to meet the maximum. Think of it as your own money because in certain ways it is, particularly for federal funding or state funding or local funding. If you're a taxpayer, you pay sales tax, that's your money. And would you spend your own money like that and let that help you to the light and to not yeah. that you don't need because grants are there to fulfill a need that's why we have a needs mm-hmm. statement or a problem statement and if you don't have a problem or a need you are blessed and perhaps you don't need to seek grant funding I'm just saying <laughs> well I you have so many topics that you could speak on and, and very passionately as as our <laughs> attendees can now attest to as well. So 
at this point, I'm going to have withdrawals, and I do have my face hurts from smiling the whole time. I'm like, oh my god! So, so this has been very enjoyable, and and, uh, I want to thank you both for the great tips and advice you've shared with us today. I've taken away some some best practices myself, and I thank you everyone for attending. Uh, We hope you enjoyed today's topic and our speakers, and we wish you all amazing success in your fundraising. Uh, And do you guys feel free to have any other closing remarks or key points you want to hit on, and then we'll let people get back to writing grants. Go out and write those grants. I just... I'm just uh, deeply appreciative and grateful for all the hard work that all grant professionals do every day. It's um, and finance people too. And finance yeah, people. Finance. It's sometimes and shout finance. out to my Definitely. accounting brethren. It's just hard sometimes in the in the struggle to get grants out and meet reporting deadlines. It's hard to remember that we sometimes that it it really is moving us toward better communities through seeking grant funding. I mean, that's what it's all about. So thanks for taking your time to reach out and, um, you know, learn a little bit more. uh, And of course, Amanda rocks. Y'all all all know that. So I'm going to turn it over to her. (laughs) Well, as do you. Um, Feel free to shoot us an email. Um, It may be a day or two before we get back to you, but we're happy to uh, share what it we know that's right so, and follow thanks, us on Tammy. twitter yeah. thanks tammy all right thank you both i'll uh hit you back on the flip side then oh, and nice. have a great day. lingo i love it <laughs> bye. 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 bye so that was our conversation a big thank you to amanda and kimberly for sharing their knowledge and for being such great teachers I would highly encourage everyone to check out their podcast, Fundraising Heyday, which is linked in the episode notes. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast. You can look for announcements on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn by following Foundant Technologies. And we want to hear from you. Sign up for a live webinar to chat or submit questions to our experts. Your question might even be featured in a future episode. So from everyone at Founded Technologies, thanks for listening. We hope you found it helpful, and we can't wait to connect with you again on our next Coffee Talk.